Hello and welcome to another episode of ACG New York's weekly podcast. I am Vic Magdani, Executive Director of ACG New York and delighted to have us joined today by David Nykrug, CEO of Optimum Solutions, which is a vendor management firm for the HR supply chain, um, providing a range of services, including to those in the M&A arena. And I must say, he's also an ACG New York member. So, David, hello to you, sir, and, and Happy New Year. Thank you, Vic. Pleasure, and thank you very much for the opportunity. No, always a pleasure, sir. Always good talking to you. You've been a great advocate of ours, so it's, it's always nice to connect with good members that always chat sense. And I put you in that bracket, sir, so good to be talking to you. you. Now, David, I've, I've known you for a while now, but I've never really delved deep into your past and your history and your journey to the here and now. And I love talking to entrepreneurs, and you're the founder of your business. So Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, David, for, for me and to the audience listening. Well, I don't think anybody ever starts out their life, try, you know, says, yes, this is what I'm going to do and actually lands up there or you land up with, you know, a right or a left turn. Uh, but today I'm looking at the world. It's about 30 years now in the world of HR and the world of benefits. The first 15 years, as people would think about it, as you would think about traditionally in the traditional advisory world both advising both employers as well as about five years advising vendors as the world of HR outsourcing was evolving. The vendors were looking for guidance around what are employers actually looking for. In 2005, I had the luxury of my prior firm being acquired by Capital H Group, which was a private equity-backed HR consulting firm. And then in 2007, I took a step back and I looked at the world from you know a different lens, and you know once you have the opportunity to take a step back and think through what does the world need, what are you going to do with the rest of your life, and things of that nature, you're in a position, and you look at the global and where I was directed to based on my thinking and my past of playing in the HR outsourcing world, but also the global BPO world, is looking at the world of outsourcing and the business process outsourcing as a defined sector is probably about 40 years old today mm-hmm. as a defined sector, even though a blacksmith was an outsourcer, your dry cleaner is an outsourcer technically. But if you look at that world, that's a well-defined and oiled machine. About 25 years ago, maybe a little longer, there was a concept of a vendor management that came into play. And that concept is a premise or or that starts their day, excuse me, around the world of it's a lot cheaper to fix a problem than replace it through holding the vendors accountable for what they promise to do. Mm. And through some comparisons, which we'll get into in a bit, that was the impetus of starting Optimatum and why versus just going and hanging a shingle or going to work for a traditional advisory firm or a consulting firm decided to go down this path and bring the world of vendor management to the HR supply chain. And how's it gone for you thus far? I'm guessing this past year has been no picnic. um... It's been no picnic, but starting a firm in 2007 uh, gives you a lot of skills that uh, you hope you don't need again. But yes, you'll end up becoming very uh, useful 
as being able to a sense the market and sense what's going on then i'm not stating here i had a crystal ball but sitting in you know 2007 we, t we took the strategy back then i had an executive management team that we decided to go about this from building it first and then going to market versus selling something and then figuring out what in the world we actually just sold and how do we deliver it that being said, that's where we were in 2007, and we assumed we were going to go full out uh, on onslaught onto the market in 2008. The world had a different uh, ideas for us, and but the interesting part is is that our business model sort of changed coming out of this, uh, coming out of 08. From that perspective, we assumed we were going to be an offense shop around expense management, margin expansion, SG&A controls, where we bluntly became a defense shop where most of the work for a number of years was cleaning up messes. Mm. And you look at that and you look at what we saw in 08. We saw the business climate. Ironically, uh, in 08, you would, one would assume selling cost savings would have been a home run. Uh, people weren't even thinking about it. They had permission at that point to do the uh, riffs, the layoffs, the reduction in cash comp and everything else, and just rip off the Band-Aid and not even have to worry about the repercussions. And then again, you know, the last year watching the market in January and February, uh, you know, the highs and the lows, and it was just deja vu to what happened in 08. Yeah, unbelievable. So, yeah. I, 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 I want to get into those messes, and I guess working in those messes has probably helped you in the in the last year sorry to home in on this past year but it's no, just been one, it's been it's been an enigma of a year um but let me ask you how has the world of hr sort of changed and evolved over time you talked about bpo services and we know a lot of vendors in that space that still exist still do have morphed into something else vendor management services so What's changed over the years, David? What's been the constant and what has changed? And how, I guess, how have you adapted accordingly? Well, you know, depending which part of HR. So if we want to uh, talk about for a moment of the HR function, the HR function is clearly in the world of the last 12 months at a front seat at the table and driving major decisions within organizations based on risk and based on what needs to happen and moving entire workforces to a virtual standpoint. But it's, I will say this, uh, candidly, there's not much that's changed over the years. At the end of the day, uh, the process, the structure and process and processes within HR uh, has, you know, we've seen some new vendors, you've seen some consolidation, uh, in the employer-sponsored healthcare world, there's been a mass consolidation over yeah. the last 20 years. The retirement plan world, consolidation, and HR systems, payroll systems, you have a handful of vendors. Where else are you going? Uh, so from that perspective, I'm going to say that there's not not much has changed from that standpoint. Mm. Uh, vendors don't want to talk about it. Uh, more often than not, uh, paychecks are being still processed behind the scenes on mainframes. Yeah. Uh, well, that being, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, go on, go on. Yeah. No, that being said, right, everyone's, you know, you look at, people are looking for new concepts. I think people have gotten a lot better, a lot wiser or what's going on and just 
the concept of just trusting the vendor, regardless who the vendor is, whether it's an actual service provider from a product or a service, uh, whether it's the trusted advisor world, I would say that the forward-thinking organizations have taken more uh, on their own shoulders to validate uh, and drive decision-making and drive strategy versus waiting for it to come to them. Mm. Well, our, our audience listening in, of course, is is one that are M&A deal makers, predominantly in the private equity world. And I look back at the last 10 years and it was 2017 and 19 that saw record-breaking fundraising years. Um, lots of dry powder sat at the front end of last year. And obviously the world went awry, but you know, we got into Q3, David, of last year and that M&A activity across the board actually, and it was led it really was led by the public markets, lots of IPOs, SPACs transactions within, you know, I think the FT said it was $3.8 trillion worth of M&A activity across the board and some big deals come to mind, I think Refinitiv, Slack, et cetera, et cetera. So strategic leg acquisitions, a ramp up, like I say, of M&A activity facilitated even by the PE class across all tiers various strategies, SPACs again, pipes, um, and those do come to mind. So, but, you know, with that, I'm guessing you've been fairly busy. Um, you know, the, the people do call on you to help. And, and what I have learned that the, the PE class specifically has learned, particularly in, the, in this year, is, you know, whether it be through after add-on, bolt-on, carve-out, whatever, you still got to delve deep in, into organic value creation, no matter what the holding period. But I guess where you come in is day one readiness. So what I wanted to ask you was, you know, how much are you working within the M&A and, and transactional activity space to get everyone day one ready? And within that, your work with PE, who have been, like I say, just, just so buoyant, even last year. So let's take a step back for a moment. And I want you brought up a number of things. Yeah. So in terms of where we've been busy, uh, when I mentioned earlier that we landed up to be a defense shop, so 2008, 2009, as we went through the years, I would say m most of our work was around cleaning up messes. And while that's great work, we, we needed to understand a couple of years ago, what was the root cause of all these messes that we were cleaning up? And I came into the office one day and I said, all right, guys, we have a new client. They said, who? I said, us. I said, I wanted to understand the root cause of all these messes that we were cleaning up. And I assumed it was going to be all over the place. But net net, it was really one of two things. It was either M&A gone bad or system transition gone bad. Mm -hmm. And that brought us to the thoughts where, you know, over the last couple of years where you and I have met and we joined ACG to, uh, a little over two years ago as saying, okay, our client base is the M&A world. Our client base is either PE, Holdco, family office, and the like. And how do we connect better with them? And that's the you know impetus of joining ACG. That being said, let's talk about the two areas of focus. While there is some support on due diligence, we leave that to uh, the QV and the, the guys writing the opinion letters out there. But when it comes to the day one, 
if you're just a PE shop and you're buying, you know, it's a SPA, you're just buying a single company and it's not a platform, it's not, uh, it's a platform, excuse me, and not a bolt dot. It's simple. You don't have to really worry about much. But if you're starting, if you're talking about a bolt on, you're talking about, you know, grabbing a piece of, of a divested entity or the like, you have to start worrying about weeds and getting into them. The traditional advisory world, uh, all the firms with their task practices, and they come in from an IMO or a PMO type of basis, they do two things very well. They synthesize all the work streams and they run the Gantt chart. But net-net, they focus on that while assuming that the acquirer has the bandwidth for day one readiness. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, that may not necessarily be the case. And that's how what we found from all of our work is clean, uh, from the messes is that nobody was focusing on ensuring day one. When I talk about day one, it's yes, on the surface, we talk about de-risking the deal. The infamous number we all know is 70 to 90 percent of all deals do not achieve intended outcomes. And as you start to peel the layers of the onion away, we look at the three out of the top five are employee-related issues. I'm not going to sit here and guarantee to anybody that if they don't pay people timely and correctly on day one and they don't have their employees' health insurance cards in their pockets for day one, uh, they're not going to leave. But they're, you know, you're just going to give them one more reason. The number of things that have to happen on day one, uh, we, have a, we run a project list of about 530 tasks of everything that you really need to think about. Most people, unless they've had a mess, don't want, want to even think about it, don't want to even pay attention to it. That being said, it then comes to, you know, when you look at that, the ones that care have a much better success and are establishing, you, know, you mentioned for a moment, the SPACs, right? The SPACs are all, all about a traditional, you know, PE play, LBO play, whatever you want to talk about it. From the standpoint is we're going to, you know, put in one, two, three entities, uh, for that initial thesis of the SPAC, and then we're going to raise the debt and go put on more entities. Well, if you don't have a strong catcher's mitt for those, right, to enable to deal with the, the additional, you know, you know, we all talk about ACG's value creation, but it really gets into how do you capture that value and how do you ensure it's going to be there by looking at the nickels. Yeah. And a successful day one, a successful platform from an operational perspective will provide you the tools for a more successful outcome of the investment thesis. Mm, that's very interesting. And how does, so your, your client base in the M&A transitional world, let's call it that, is it a full range? Is it, is it, is it PE? Purchasing is it corporates? You mentioned family offices there, but how big and small, and how big are these port co's? Or, or um, some of our clients are. You know, we're, so what's interesting also is we, we have about thirty percent of our clients are actually foreign owners who we're dealing with. You know, North, traditionally North American operations. We do do some work on a global basis, but when you look at that, yes, across the board. You know, billion-dollar deals uh, will play in the I'd call it 500 to 1,000 on the low end to 20,000 employment. We define that as the middle market, 
Mm. You know, every person in ACG had talked to you about the middle market has a different definition of it, but I'll call it the Fortune 2000 is probably a more accurate assessment of it. Mm. And where our niche is, is those are the companies that over time, one client in particular, U.S. operation of a global conglomerate, a global pharma you know, we walked in there 30 days after they went from 300 to 700 employees. They did a bunch of tuck and acquisitions over the next two years. And then I get a phone call saying, start thinking. And I go, okay, what? They go, what would happen if, you know, we more than doubled? Uh, 10 days later, they, they announced uh, an acquisition that they went from 12. On their 1,200, they put on another 1,500. Wow. And how does... So those, sorry, go on. So those... No, no, please, no. No, no, I was, I was going to ask, how does, how, how does, well, I wanted to get into the forensics of your approach and what you look at and the, and the processes and the protocols, but how does, how does one approach you? I guess you're out there, you know, looking at what's going on and, and, and picking and choosing who you might want to work with. Um, but how do, how do you go about engaging with someone and what does that look like? Is it Predominantly post-deal, is it pre-deal, during, many months after? How does that schematic work? My preference in life is the more time I have before, the, and our team has to be able to do, uh, to do our analyses and to get everything set up properly for day one, the better. Yeah. That being said, when someone's thinking about doing a deal, no one's thinking about us. We get the phone call, we hope, within a couple weeks before the deal closes, sometimes sooner. Uh, so it's a candidly, it's a referral network from trusted advisors, whether legal, whether other advisors that are in this, that are in their Q of E firms, you name it, who identify that there's an opportunity or talking to their client about X, Y, and Z, and that's where we get. So it uh, we'll get the referral. Existing clients, clearly, we know what's going on. We're getting the phone calls, but from a growth standpoint for our firm, we're, we are reliant on a advisory uh the advisors out there for a referral basis sure and and what does the, the 30 60 90 or beyond however much time you need what does that look like what is the process i mean you mentioned that you know you you identify issues there's some forensics behind it all uh, and you mentioned the nickels uh, and I don't want to touch on, we are talking about HR, but does that include who to keep, who not to keep? I don't want to dwell on that too much, but I'm guessing. Right. So in, in terms of, you know, people are using the buzzword rationalization, we're mm -hmm. not going to, bulls, the skill set for validation or rationalization of positions will leave to the actual internal HR team. Okay. From a standpoint of everything up so optimatum is not an hour shop everything we do is a flat fee or a flat monthly fee uh where we're ensuring that we can add value and we're not worried about a clock from that perspective yeah when you look about costs i mean we have four pages of things that you have to start with analyzing from a like to like or you know if you're in a situation where and Kendall, you hope not but more but too many times you have a concept in an SPA of comparable the aggregate that the acquirer is going to guarantee, you know, 18 months of X, Y, and Z, 24 months, 36 months, that comp will be the same, benefit plans will be the same, even though the acquirer has a different set of benefits. Mm -hmm. And you just go through whether it's administrative costs, whether it's PTO policies, whether it's even pay grades, 
whether it's co corporate cost allocation, uh, leave, incentive plans, talent acquisition costs, annual raises, automobile allowances, merit increase, increases, stock options, you name it, well, you know, immigration, training, all of these issues is how do you deal with it? Right? And how do you, you need to align, right? So uh, um, you need all of those so you know what you need to communicate. Yeah. And, and I guess successful projects. Sorry, no, I was going to say, I guess you're then reviewing utilization, those vendors that they're working with, that performance, et cetera, et cetera. If you have the luxury, right? You know, in a perfect world on day one, you would like to get everybody onto the acquirer system. You don't want to be running multiple systems. Uh, you do, if you have more than three seconds, yes, you will take. If, if it's a potential like-to-like -like in terms of girth of organizations, you could be in a position to say, hey, listen, you know, the firm that we just acquired has XYZ system. Maybe that's better for our organization as a whole, and that's where we should go. Right. So if we have the time, and that's why when I say every day that we have uh, – leeway on for day before day one gives us a better opportunity for uh, post day one synergies. Typically, David, what are the, regardless of the size of acquisition, but what are some of the line of best fit issues that you always see and always run into? What should our listeners be wary of and should know that when you talk to them, you might hit on this? Uh, you know, the top three, the top five are don't, I mean, bottom line is do not assume that the vendor, what the vendor tells you is reality. You need to double check. You need to validate 12 times over. Um, and also, that's number one. And a lot of times the vendor will say, well, we can't do this by X. You need to start, you really need to peel away the level of the layers of the onion, excuse me, and understand when they say no, what are they saying no to? Uh, as an example, we were in a situation where the vendor said, no, we cannot onboard this group because we're not going to be ready for three months. And we said, guys, you're doing it already. We're just changing group names for all intents and purposes. And it wasn't that they could, couldn't deal with the actual service that they were providing. They couldn't deal, it, it took them that long to deal with a new data file feed. And that was a very candidly quick fix by saying, give us your template. And for your two months, your three months till you're able to spin it up, we'll get you the data the way you want it so you don't have to worry about an EDI feed mm -hmm. uh, setup. And therefore, that eliminated the need, the potential need of the acquirer to put, you know, two FTEs on this one area that would be a you know, total waste of time. Yeah. And then as you go along the, you know, reviewing the programs, are you sort of going forward, managing the, the vendors as well on behalf of clients or do, is there a step out point? So at our core, uh, Optimatum as a vendor management firm, you know, is not a firm. We're not looking to, once we move in, we don't move out. We'll leave yeah. that to, you know, others that are out there. Everything we do falls into a one of three buckets or all three. Forensic analysis, identifying the opportunities, identifying the inefficiencies, going to a realignment. A realignment is where we're doing the work, 
fixing the problems, onboarding, whatever needs to happen, and then we transition to ongoing plan of vendor management, which is basically saying, okay, Mr. Miss Vendor, we're here, you know, you've done X, Y, and Z, you've assured us that it's going to now work this way if it's something we fix, and we're going to monitor that for a period of time, uh, and then ensure that you actually are delivering what you promised to do. When it comes to the M&A world, I would say that the day one readiness really ends at about 90 days post deal close, but then you get into all the other issues of harmonization, post day one synergies, you name it, and the opportunities to start looking under the covers and with a microscope at every penny spent and identifying how you can use the girth of this larger entity, larger portfolio, whether, again, going back to what we said earlier, we don't care if it's hold co-opco, sponsor, portco, or family office. There's, there's girth in the purchasing power. And you, know, you and I have talked about in the past, we don't, you, know, you look at it, whether it's their shipping charges, whether it's their office supplies, it doesn't matter. They can leverage that. And from our world, within the HR world, there is lots of opportunities, especially on the smaller end. You have a PE shop that has 10, 15, 20, 30 portfolio companies. Each one may be only 100 to 200 employees. But you put them together, and all of a sudden you have purchasing power, and you can get the respect that you deserve in the marketplace when you go out to leverage your purchasing power. Does the has the harmonization as you run into various peaks and troughs over time? So you mentioned 07, 08, that was a time in itself last year. What's what, what did you see predominantly last year? Um, you know, what, what was it that kept you up at night and those that you were servicing kept them up at night as far as HR harmonization and readiness? What really what we saw is that organizations now it doesn't apply to everybody. There's a certain mindset, there's a certain culture of organizations that are going to start looking for the nickels. For those that are looking for the nickels, there's ample opportunity. They're starting with first the RIFs, then the furloughs, then the reduction in cash comp. We spoke about this earlier. But then it's a matter of, okay, are you stopping there? And you're just going to deal with, all right, there's an old saying that goes, top line growth is going to mask all the sins of poor SG&A controls. Or are you actually going to say, what are we going to do about operational efficiency? How can we take out 5, 10%, 15, 20%, you name it, out of the bottom line? And then they, in whatever dollar that may be, or I talk about nickels, because nickels do add up quickly to dimes, nickel, uh, quarters, and eventually becomes real money. And in the world we're talking, in the PE world that we're all talking about, you're putting on, I don't care, there's six, there's eight, there's 10, 15, 20x multiple, whatever you want to put. And, and then you really have some money. We have a situation with a client that, you know, is frustrated from the standpoint as, well, why couldn't they do this years ago? They could have bought another company with the value that they were able to capture through harmonization when they're done putting their multiple on the, on the money. It's interesting. I, I, I bet there are lots listening, and I ask myself this. Most, I shouldn't say most, but a lot are probably working with PMOs and, and saying to themselves, well, they're probably handling all of this. Shouldn't they be, David? Are they? If you talk to the traditional PMO vendors, they're, 
they're focused predominantly on systems, a lot of F&A, a lot of IT, a lot of operational. Going back to the initial thesis of Optimatum and the why, mm-hmm. is nobody wants to really get into the weeds of HR. They want to deal with the organizational development, organizational change, what I spoke about earlier when you asked about uh, rationalization of employees and headcount. But when it gets into, you know, we just um, actually last night uh, dealt with a synthesizing, synthesization from the standpoint of an entity that was in in, in an industry that has seen drastic headcount reduction. They had a excessive number of instances of the same platform running their payroll for no reason. And there was no valid reason that we could see why, but that's I'm not here to judge on that. We got them down to one instance. And that was payroll ran successfully, one little hiccup, but what do you expect? <laughs> as far as we're concerned, everyone's be tomorrow is being paid accurately, timely and accurately, and you can't ask for more than that. And that's where we're at. We're at the standpoint of when you, that's the world we're looking at. So having said that, I asked myself, are PE shops, acquirers, even portcos, auditing all of this stuff well enough are they saying to themselves do i want to actually spend money on this and you're obviously saying well you should and here are the efficiencies and savings with are they are they just saying to themselves can i afford to spend money on on this what we're seeing is the conversations that we're having around do they want to harmonize right and it is a fraction of the world they're not thinking about it. Uh, it's a matter of identifying the op- the opportunities out there, or identifying the organizations that have a culture around value capture today. Those are the organizations that have ample opportunity because they're driving that uh, scenario. Mm. Ones that are solely focused on doing another deal and no- doing another deal they're going to leave all of that, you know, on the editing room floor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, at the, at the incept of this is a lot of onus on value creation beyond the, the holding period of, of a said portco or, or, or the stipulations of a, of a particular fund. I'm glad that that's changing. So I'm sure that there are lots that are saying, well, I have, integration issues now or problems now i'm i'm guessing you will say well it's never too late um never, never too late uh there's more more often than i want to discuss gotten the 945 call at night saying payroll needs to be run tomorrow uh they're saying everyone's benefits are expiring tomorrow we didn't get their id cards you name you name it or you know whoops we uh missed the match on the 401k just as examples, uh, there is no fire drill that uh, we haven't seen. And through all of our years of cleaning up these messes, more we very quickly de- deploy a SWAT team that understands what the real issue is, what has to be done, and be able to prioritize the fix. Yeah. Well, I'm getting, I'm, 
that's the flexibility of your firm and, and those that do what you do. That's, that's all very interesting. So what, what, what would your, as a, as a, I'm conscious of time here as well, David, but what would your, actually, before I ask what I'm going to ask, you know, your crystal ball in hand, I'm guessing it's going to be another flurry of M&A activity. Who knows what this virus holds for us? Uh, but there does seem to be a bit of light out of this tunnel, um, or at least from what I can see. And that's good to hear. But what would your message be? You know, you're 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 in this day in day out. You wear the t-shirt. Um, what's your message to all listening? How important is this? And actually, I would ask. You know, typically, what are the some of the saving percentages that people are seeing in working with someone like yourself? The savings, depending on the spend, depending on the silo within the spend. Whether it's healthcare, you're looking at anywhere from eight to ten percent. On other services, it can be thirty percent. From that perspective, in terms of the crystal ball, if you you know earlier or late last year, DealLogic you know had some data out there about the deals that aren't that don't always make the finish line. You look at that. You look at scenarios where organizations are. You know, still looking at uh, cost future significant company wide cost reductions. The real question is, can you afford to lose those people? Can you afford to reduce another 10, 15 percent of your organization versus are you better off for the long term of the for the next cycle and the cycle after that and the cycle after that to to focus on cost reductions? Mm -hmm. Right. So the. You know, going back in Q2 of last year was the first time that in Deloitte's history that the CFOs indicated net uh, focus on cost reductions over revenue growth. Again, top line growth is everyone's bread and butter, yeah. but being but starting to really allocate a portion of your operations to improving the bottom line will set you up for greater success time and time again. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. You heard it here first. Um, what's, what's, uh, what's keeping you busy these days, David? It's always interesting talking to you without giving too much away, of course. And, but it's always interesting, some of the stories I hear from you and some of the woes that your clients are facing. But it's, all, it's always fascinating. Well, what, 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 what are you working on these days right now? I, we are working on, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of harmonization. A lot of these organizations, uh, as well as some some messes, uh, which we're still not sure on what what the root cause is, based on two of them that I have on my desk. But that's where we are today. Uh, that the the deals are out there, but the harmonization is the key. Yeah. Well, look, I, I would say to all those listening, contemplating a deal, get in touch with David pre-deal first, as early as possible. But look, um, David, always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, again, thanks for your support as always, um, you know, helping ACG where, where you can. And, uh, you know, any, for anyone that wants to know a bit more about David and find out more about his firm, we'll, we'll have a link to him and his firm's website in the description of the video and you can reach out to him that way but uh, David thank you again sir thanks for your time and uh, I hope to see you soon
probably virtually, hopefully one day in person. I look forward to that as well, sir. All the best. Thank you very much. Wonderful. And that was this episode of ACG New York's weekly podcast. Thank you so, so much. And we shall be back next week.